I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, welcome to another Touch Em All podcast. I'm Derek Wetmore, co-host list today. Phil Mackey is out, probably enjoying the beautiful Minnesota weather, and I'm just doing a Facebook chat. This is a repurposed version of my Friday Twins chats, which, yes, we do every single week on Facebook. Sometimes it's the 1500 ESPN Facebook page. Sometimes it's my personal baseball Facebook page. You can find that. It's just Derek Wetmore MLB on Facebook if you want to come hang out any Friday afternoon, especially if you're uh, stuck in the office and you're just looking for a way to pass the time. Not pointing fingers, not passing judgment. I'm just saying there are worse things that you could do on a uh, Friday afternoon than hanging out and talking twins. So we got a lot to get into today. I see uh, Chad's got a question. I'm going to get to that in the Facebook page here. I mentioned briefly that I'm going to talk about Eight reasons why you'd still watch the Twins. We definitely can talk about that. And I'm also, I think this is the episode where we have to get into it. I am writing off the Twins' chances of making the postseason. That's right. I'm the non-zero guy. I'm the there's always a chance guy. Don't say never. Uh, I wrote a column this week that said, that's pretty much it. I don't know how the Twins will overcome the whole, overcome the deficit that they've made for themselves um, open to being wrong about that. We'll see, but uh, I just I'll go through that column with you guys here today, and I just I don't see it as very likely that they're going to go. Yes, I know. I see Seth in the chat says "boo Derek." I get it. Hopefully, that's like "boo Mauer" because I think that's said ironically a lot of times on social media. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a telling month of May, I would say, if the Twins bounce back and just like take the league by storm and erase this entire deficit, well, then great, I was wrong, and we'll have an exciting baseball season. It just doesn't look super likely for my chair. So let's get to the question, then I'll get to the reasons why I think they're done, and then we'll finish up with some optimism here, guys. We're going to wrap with eight reasons why I have written down on my notebook right here why it's still worth watching the Twins this summer. So we'll start with Chad here. Chad says, uh, Gonsalves just got the call to Rochester. What's your best guess as to when you think we'll see him in Minnesota? It's a good question, and it's probably a better question for our buddy Seth hanging out in the chat here. Um, Seth Stowes might have a better idea of that, or uh, our buddy Jake DePew, who covers the minors for 1500ESPN.com. Those people would probably be better equipped to answer this, but I'll say this, Chad. I don't think it's very likely that Gonsalves gets a start in the next two months with the Twins. I'm talking all of May, all of June. I'll even go pre-All-Star break. I don't think Gonsalves makes a pre-All-Star break start, and that's just a random guess on my part. I'm, I'm not saying I don't think Stephen Gonsalves is a good pitcher or that he'll eventually have a good major league career, but like, think about what the Twins have going for him right now. I'm going to pull up their depth chart because if we're, if we're talking about Gonsalves, I think that critical component is like where is the opening in the rotation fernando romero just made his debut on wednesday and the word i've heard behind the scenes is that they're very much open to him sort of winning that rotation spot and hanging on to it for a while i don't know if he'll be up all season but it's not a one start kind of deal i think it's a here's phil hughes's rotation spot while we figure out what to do with hughes but Romero would be within his rights to take that spot and run with it. Um, I'm going to pull up the depth chart, but you guys know the starting pitchers. It's Jose Barrios. He's going tonight. Um, obviously, Jake Odorizzi. Lance Lynn, who's off to a rocky start, but I think is still a good pitcher. Romero, and uh, who am I forgetting in this mix? Kyle Gibson, who had a nice outing the other day. Now... Any one of those guys you could see getting hurt or bumped, obviously, it's baseball. That stuff happens all of the time. But consider what's on the way. I think Trevor May is less than a month away from joining the Twins rotation after having Tommy John surgery last spring. That's a big deal. 
I think Trevor May is a very underrated pitcher. He's had a horrible go of things with his injuries. In 2016, I don't think his stats looked as good as he actually was. Um, And I'm not even just talking about fielding independent pitching or XFIP or anything like that. I'm talking about his straight-up ERA would have been significantly better if he hadn't had a little like week-long stretch where he was awful. He gave up. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I don't have the stat sheet in front of me. But if I remember correctly, in 2016, Trevor May gave up 10 runs in three and a third innings. And that's not good, obviously. But like for a reliever, that's impossible to overcome. If a starting pitcher has a bad start, all right, that kind of stinks. But like he can then go seven innings the next time, and you're like, oh, yeah, his bad outing's behind him. As a reliever... If you give up a stretch like that, like it's over. Your season ERA is going to look horrible. Um, and then I personally see that kind of stretch, and I start to look at, okay, what did the rest of his year look like? And in 2016, for May, it was impressive. He ran like a 32 or 33% strikeout rate out of the bullpen. He limited the walks. He's a big frame. He's got a powerful arm. I think mid-90s fastball is within reason for him. And a four-pitch mix. That is kind of how you draw it up if you were building a starting pitcher. Swing and miss stuff, an array of pitches, control, which has gotten better as he's progressed. He's now like 26 or 27. He's not young anymore. So anyways, all of this is a long way of saying that Trevor May is going to have to prove that health is fine for him, that his injuries are in the past. But after missing him for like a year and some change for Tommy John surgery, I think it's like a really big addition back to the Twins rotation. So... I'd put May in line in front of Gonsalves. Um, Whose spot does he take? Don't ask me that yet because we don't know who's healthy and who's pitching well at the end of May, which is when uh, Trevor May will likely rejoin the rotation. I have June 1st sort of penciled in as the date that I'm looking for. And, uh, yeah, I just think think he'd be in line in front of Gonsalves. And then don't forget there's this guy named Irvin Santana yet to make his uh, debut in 2018. I think I'd put him in front of Consolves too. So really, to answer your question, Chad, Consolves is like in the rotation if the Twins suffer multiple more injuries and uh, Lance Lynn never gets it back or something like that. So anyway, uh, Seth chimed in here on the Consolves question. He says, I agree with Derek. Uh, with the exception of a doubleheader where Consolves or Zach Latell could line up. And yeah, you're right, Seth. If the Twins have weather or, you know, whatever, there's a doubleheader situation, yeah, Gonsalves could be a guy if he's in line. I think that's the other thing. The Twins are constantly looking at, like, okay, well, whose day was it to pitch? You know, um, relievers especially, they're going to keep that fresh arm trainer rolling. They'll send out a guy, uh, you know, you, you feel bad for a guy like Matt McGill who's in the majors and, uh, has shown flashes, decent flashes early on, but he's like pitching on borrowed time. John Curtis the other day pitching on borrowed time. Couldn't hold runners on, and it was a disastrous 10th inning for him. Some wild pitches scored some runs, and see you later. He gets optioned to Rochester for a fresh arm. So anyways, uh, that's a lot of talk about pitching, but I think it's a really important piece for the Twins, obviously. I mean, that goes without saying. Um what I'll be most curious about, guys, um, Chad and Seth and the like, uh, how long does Fernando Romero hold on to his rotation spot? Because he was impressive. It was good on the uh, Major League debut that he had. He ran up a fastball. Here's a fun fact for you. If you're uh, hanging out with your buddies at the water cooler and they want a Fernando Romero fact or something, do people still talk about baseball at the water cooler? I don't know. We do at my office, but I think we're kind of weird like that. Um Fernando Romero threw a fastball, I think it was a two-seamer, that went, it was clocked at 98.4 miles per hour. So, I was curious. I went to the Baseball Savants database, which tracks velos back to 2008. How many starting pitchers would you guess have thrown a pitch faster than 98 miles an hour in the Twins organization since the start of 2008? I'll just give you the answer. Four. It's four, including Fernando Romero. One of them was Frankie Liriano. I don't know if that was pre-surgery or post. I would have to guess. Uh, no, it had to have been post because 2006 was when he rep- wrecked his elbow. So anyway, Liriano threw a fastball, a couple anyways. 
J.R. Graham made a spot start, and he had a big arm. Alex Meyer, as a starting rotation, hit 98. That's it. And now Fernando Romero hit it in his debut. There's probably more where that came from. I'm mostly curious to see more of the changeup from him. If he's got that big of a fastball and the changeup's at like 90 miles an hour and he's got a slider 87, 88, that's definitely got some swing and miss to it. That's pretty interesting. Now it's about attacking the strike zone, staying out of happy zones of hitters, and uh, yeah, he's got good stuff. That's a good place to start. Let's get to some more questions here because that was a lot of blabbing about uh, stuff maybe you don't care about. I don't know. Oh, awesome. I see a lot more questions here as I dig in here. see Tanya joining the chat. What's up, Tanya? Luke, Dustin, Phil, Craig, and Kathy. This is sweet. Guys, thank you for joining. Um... Okay, so Seth says, boo, Derek. I hope he was kidding. Thanks for stopping by, Seth. Uh, Luke says, over this season and last, what is the Twins' record without Buxton? What's your read on the feeling in the clubhouse? And last night I watched them walk off the field. They just looked like a defeated team. Right now they make baseball not fun. Yeah, those are some good observations. So I don't have the record without Buxton you know, right in front of me here. Um, I'd have to go look that up, and uh, maybe I'll do that. Let me find a quote for you, though, because I think, Luke, that this is, uh, this, is a, this was a pretty telling quote. I don't know if you guys saw it on my Facebook page uh, earlier this week, but I basically I didn't have anywhere to put these two quotes. They didn't really fit in any of my columns. Um, I wasn't going on the radio for another, like, six days or something like that, so I didn't, uh, I didn't put them in a story on the website, but I did want to share them with you guys. So I just put them on my Facebook page. I'll read them for you here. Cause you mentioned the baseball not being very fun. Yeah. Uh, about that. Let me find it here quick. There it is. Okay. Yeah. From May 1st on my Facebook page. So Paul Molitor had one and Paul is just exasperated. You can tell. This stuff wears on him not because uh, I not because I believe that it's his fault, but because he hates sloppy baseball. And the Twins have played some sloppy baseball over the stretch. Yep, some bad luck, and some of the fact that like oh the pitching just isn't there, and missing Buxton hurts, missing Irvin Santana hurts, missing Miguel Sano hurts. But it's the errors and the like shooting yourself in the foot that I think I watch it and I think it's gross. I don't have a you know, horse in the race. I, if the Twins win or lose, I get the same amount of sleep every night. But, like, watching a bad baseball game is just, it's not fun. It's not as enjoyable. And I think Paul Molitor feels that to a much greater degree because he's in charge of that product. Um, he cares if the Twins win or lose, obviously. And he's so close to it that uh, I think it just really wears on him. Here's his quote, Luke. To kind of this is a roundabout way of answering your question, but Molitor said after they lost the second game to the Blue Jays, um, he said this was so. This was before the walkoff in Chicago. This was before Fernando Romero's debut. He says, "quote These nights are tough. You know, you got to try to find a way to sort through and replay, and then mix in some rest if you can." He's talking about overnight night game before a day game. Continues the quote. And you come back as best you can. Energize yourself and put together something that you hope will work. We're putting a lot on this kid, Fernando Romero, tomorrow to try to step up for us. I hope my attitude is a little better in the morning than it is right now. And then he basically walked off the podium. That was the end of the uh, media access. And it's hard to blame Molitor, right? You feel for him. The quote that I thought was really telling is I was talking with Dozier after the game. And Dozier came in for a pinch hit appearance. He wasn't really a big part of this loss. Um, but he is sort of like the spokesman for the team consciousness sometimes. He feels like that anyways. Here's Dozier, quote, When you go through a few losses in a row, everything gets magnified. As human beings, as men, as athletes, you try to do too much. Uh, you try to do too much at one time to get back to feeling good. That's individually, offensively, the pitching staff, defensively, everything. And then all of a sudden you lose again, and it gets even more magnified. 
as a group, we need to take a step back and number one, start having fun. I think we're losing sight of that through this. But at the same time, when you go through things like this, it really teaches you a lot about yourself and as a team. I'm very confident we'll come out of it. That was Dozier. And prescient words because they did come out of it Wednesday. Fernando Romero is five and two-thirds shutout, I think. And then the bullpen holds up its end of the bargain. They win 4 nothing. Salvage a game against the Blue Jays. Going to Chicago, feeling relatively good. And then the Trace Thompson walk-off happens. And it's just bad feelings all over again. So when you say, Luke, that the team is sort of hanging its head walking off the field, it's kind of hard to blame them. I've talked to multiple people inside the Twins clubhouse who said, it's ridiculous if you're writing off this season. We'd rather have a bad stretch in April, so we have our work cut out for us, and we have still time, plenty of runway on the calendar, left to fight back. This is much better than slumping like this in September. Now I'll put on my analytics hat and say, that's the attitude you should have, but it doesn't change my opinion that Losing 10 of 12 in April and May is just as bad as losing 10 of 12 right before the trade deadline. And if it happened right before the trade deadline, what would we all be saying? It's over. Sell a farm. Trade Dozier. Trade Santana. Trade anything that's not nailed down. Does anybody want a Logan Morrison? And it's over. You shut her down. Now, I don't think that that should necessarily happen now. Like, let it play out. That's fine. But you lose 10 to 12 in April, it still stings. It still hurts. Cleveland's still a better team. They've now built a gap, and you're looking at the wild card if you're the Twins. That's my personal opinion. That's not what they're saying inside the Twins clubhouse, but that's what I feel about this Twins team right now. So it's a bit of a tough spot, but I don't know what you can really do other than show up in Chicago tonight and fight again. You got Barreos going, go win a ball game tonight. I think that's really all that you can do, Luke. So uh, I don't know. Did I really touch on your question or did I just start blabbing and blabbing and blabbing? Um, I don't have the record in front of me with or without Buxton. I know he's hitting sub 200. That's fine. But I think it's very obvious when you watch every game that like Buxton's impact is huge. Uh, not only catching everything in center field, but allowing Max Kepler to catch most everything in right field. Without Buxton, Kepler goes to center, or Rosario goes to center, Robbie Grossman plays one of those corner spots, and doubles happen. So what more can you say other than that if you're the Twins, you hope that Byron Buxton's back much sooner than later. Uh, He's a big boost to their defense even when he's not hitting great. And then last year he also hit great. So you're missing a potential superstar in, in your lineup there in the middle of the outfield. Sorry, that was kind of a lot of bad news. I feel like I, I feel like uh, I've just rained all over this parade. You guys came to hang out in a Twins chat, listen to a Twins podcast, and I'm just spewing negativity. So we'll see if we can clean it up. Got a couple more questions here from Dustin, Phil, and Craig. All right, Dustin says, go Fernando Romero. There's some positivity, so check one. Yeah, Fernando Romero looked good. Dustin also asks, what are your thoughts on how Escobar and Rosario will do this season? And also your thoughts on Miguel Sano and Buxton. Well, let's go reverse order. Buxton, we just talked about. Cross that off the list. Miguel Sano, I don't know when his hamstring's going to be healthy. I think it's concerning that he's on the disabled list when originally they said this was a one-day thing. He's going to have to sit, rest it. But uh, as I pointed out on the radio this week when I went on for Talking Twins on 1500 ESPN, Miguel Sano has a lot of hamstring. There's a lot there. There's a lot of muscle. And so have, have a strain in there that wasn't able to work itself out in three days and he had to hit the disabled list. That's bad news. Um, I don't know when he'll be back, if it's the minimum 10 days or if it's two weeks or if it's four weeks. But I have heard that his rumored weight is getting closer to 300 than it is to 260 <laughs> And that's bad. I don't know if you can hold up for a full season physically playing third base if you weigh 300 pounds. I just don't see it happening. Um, Obviously, I've been wrong before, and I've been in the Miguel Sano corner of this guy. If he's never really taken his conditioning seriously, his weight and nutrition regimen seriously, that's good and bad news. Bad news because, like, yeah, that's not a strong track record. Good news is that, oh, it's pretty easy. Just hire a nutritionist, pay attention to what you eat, look what goes into your body, get enough sleep at night, drink enough water, do all those things, and, like, 
You'll be great. You'll be in peak physical condition and ready to rock it for 155 games at third base. Heh. <sighs> I was wrong. That hasn't happened. Miguel Sano has trended in the opposite direction of that. Yes, he had leg surgery, and so he probably couldn't do the amount of conditioning that you might have wanted this winter. But to me, that's a hollow excuse because you still are within right, your rights to eat well. You can still lose weight without jogging on a treadmill. And I blame Sano for that. I don't think he takes it seriously enough. Um, my colleague at 1500 ESPN, Judd Zolgad, said something similar to that like two years ago. And I was like, no, dude, you're wrong. You're just wrong. This guy has a shot to be a good third baseman. He's shown flashes. He's got the best bat in the lineup. And as soon as he starts taking it seriously, boom, blast off. Uh, Judd was right. I was wrong. And that hurts for the Twins. If Sano turns into like a first base DH, 240 strikeout, 30 homer hitter, that's a far cry from what I think his talent calls for, what he could potentially be. So, look, it's still early, I guess, technically in his career, but Dustin, the longer answer to your what am I thinking about Sano right now, I'm down on Sano. Uh, you asked about Rosario, too. Rosario, nice hitter. Every time I want to give up on him, he goes and hits a three-run bomb. But then he also does dumb things like drops a fly ball on the warning track or overthrows the cutoff man by 450 feet, and I just don't get it. He's got talent. He is certainly one of the Twins' best players, position players, Um, but he's frustrating. Uh, He's frustrating to watch because he doesn't play clean baseball. I think that obviously there's still a lot there, and you'd rather have Rosario than not have Rosario. Um But gosh, I have to imagine he drives his coaching staff crazy with some of the careless mistakes that he makes. And then Escobar, you can't say enough good things about Escobar. He's carried the Twins. Eduardo Escobar and Max Kepler are the best things they have going for them offensively right now. Joe Maurer kind of quietly lurking in the corner saying, what about me? But I'm just saying in terms of like surprise or like here's my expectation, here's what they delivered. They're over-delivering right now while they're also filling in for two critically important players. So... Cap tip to Max Kepler for filling in for Buxton center field and playing it well. Cap tip to Eduardo Escobar for filling in for Miguel Sano and also being a great hitter. And Escobar was also filling in for Jorge Polanco when he got suspended. So you cannot say enough good things about those two guys right now. Um, I would devote an entire podcast to them, but I feel like it'd be misrepresenting the truth a little bit. Things are not good overall for the Twins right now. Uh, Phil Kajawa says three, and I'm pretty sure, Phil, I think I saw this comment come in when I asked how many twin starters had thrown 98-plus in a start in the last 10 years, and you correctly answered three. Either you're reading five thoughts or you have a very, very vivid memory of major league starters throwing 98 miles per hour for the twins. Either way, tip of the cap to Phil Kajawa for that. Um, hey, do me a favor, guys. I see we just set a high watermark for the number of viewers on this video. That's awesome. If you're here and you're liking it, push the like button or the share button or whatever. Just, it's a shameless ask, but I'm asking you because if you do that, it tells, I mean, it might tell some of your friends, but more importantly, it tells Facebook hey, people kind of like this video. Maybe we should share it with more people. So I'm only asking so that we can trick the algorithm and just make everybody think that this is the most greatest Twins video of all time. So thank you for the like shower. I see those all coming in. That's very awesome. It's fun to see that pop up on the screen. Um, Thanks for hanging out, and I'll get to some more of your questions here now. Eventually, too, we've got to get to the eight reasons why you should still watch the Twins. There's some more optimism coming. I promise there is. Uh... Craig wants to know, uh, Craig says, I don't think it's over. They're four or five games out in early May. With so many division games left, they can easily get back in the race. All the slumping twins have the ability to turn it around, which they have in the past. Craig, thank you for dropping by with the absolute optimism reigns. I'm going to pin your comment at the top of this chat because people need to see a little bit of optimism these days. It's all negative Nancys and bad news. I'm probably the chief culprit of that too. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like It's still possible that they could get something going and climb back into it. I am, uh, 
I'm totally open to them just winning every single game against the American League Central and making this thing interesting. Um, but I published a column this week, and I'll point you there. Craig, I, I'm sure you saw it, and I'm, I'm guessing that's what you're uh, disagreeing with me against. And fair. I, I'm not digging a hardline stance in the sand, but here's what I said in the column. And tell me where I'm wrong here. But I came into the season assuming two different things. One, the Indians are the best team in the Central, and they're going to win the division. Nothing in the first month, first five weeks, made me think anything different. So that's number one. Number two, I don't know if you've seen the American League East, but the Yankees and the Red Sox are good. They're a very good team, and one of those teams is going to win the division. The other is going to win the wild card, and it gets messy from there. Those two assumptions I'm still good with. After that, you're playing for one wild card, and let me pull up the MLB wild card standings right now. See where they're at. Which I know, looking at the standings on May 4th is stupid. I, I try not to do this. Sometimes I find myself looking at the standings. I used to not look at the standings until June 1st. Everyone would be, at, they'd ask like, oh, <laughs> I, I can remember. This is like my first year covering the Twins maybe, and someone was like, uh, what do you think about the Twins overtaking the Tigers? Or I, I don't remember what the situation was. Maybe it was the Royals at that point. Twins just passed the Royals. It was like May 15th. And I had no idea. I was like completely unaware that the Twins had overtaken somebody in the standings because it was too early in the season to be worrying about the standings. With that being said, here are the wild card standings right now. You've actually got the Angels leading in the American League West. I think the Astros will win that division, but the Angels are then the second wild card team behind the Yankees. After that, you've got the. Seattle Mariners, Toronto Blue Jays, Oakland A's, Tampa Bay Rays, Detroit Tigers, Texas Rangers, and then the Twins. The Twins are seven games out of the second wild card. That's bad. Um, They're closer to last place than first place. A lot closer, actually. And that's why I think that this is such a steep climb. The Twins are basically looking for one of two wild card spots, and there's a lot of teams that they have to overcome. Now, I think they could be better than Texas. They could be better than Detroit. They're probably better than Tampa Bay. But are you sure they're better than the A's? Or are you sure they're better than the Blue Jays or the Mariners or the Angels? Because I'm not sure of that right now. And here's my overarching point. I won't make you read the column. I'll save you a, a click that on average you would have needed 88 wins to get a wild card spot since they added two wild cards. 88 wins. Let's just call that the mark. If the Twins need to get to 88 wins, and as the time I was writing this column, which was two two games ago, uh, to get to 88, they would have needed to play at a 93-win pace for the rest of the season. I think this is a good team, but I don't think this is a 93-win team, especially not if the front office comes in and slashes again at the deadline and says, nope, not good enough this year. We're playing for next year. You do that again, I don't see the Twins winning at a 93-win clip for the rest of the way. So that's why I think it's over, Craig. I'm not saying they can't win some games against the Tigers or even win three out of four here from the White Sox or the Royals are, I think, a bad baseball team. They'll win some of those games for sure, but I was already counting on them winning some of those games when I said they'd be a 90-win team. Now I just don't see them getting to that mark. So anyways, I'm probably wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times in the past and will be again in the future. But uh, Craig, I pinned your comment because of the optimism that it involves. I just don't see it being very likely that the Twins are playing meaningful baseball games this October. I think you're going to have to wait another year. All right, so that's plenty of negativity for this podcast. Chad Meyer wants to know, the Falvey and Levine pickups have so far been good, has so far not been good, including Reed, Addison Reed. Uh, Oda Rizzi has been okay. What is your take on the free agent signings? Good question, fair question. I kind of like Addison Reed. I like him uh, in that sort of roving role. Uh, obviously, last night, not so good. And he dealt with some strep throat earlier. I don't know if that's still affecting him. Kind of doubt it. But um, Addison Reed's a plus in my book. Fernando Rodney has been a bit of a rocky start. And that's putting it very nicely. I'm being friendly because I've just been so negative on the rest of the podcast. 
Um, Fernando Rodney's been a mess a lot of times. I still think he has the stuff, so I don't think he's cooked at 41 years old. But, like, really bad April. Can't have that. Um, I will point out for Rodney that he had a terrible April last year and then recovered to have something like a – I think from May 1st to the end of the season, he had like a 2.38 ERA for the Diamondbacks and was a good reliever for them. And uh, teamed up with Archie Bradley at the end of games. Like, that was a good team, good bullpen, uh, at least late. Obviously, they didn't make a ton of noise in October, but – who are the other guys? Odorizzi, I think that's a steal of a trade. They got Odorizzi for two years, sub, uh, definitely below market value of what you'd pay for that guy if he was a free agent. Gave up a prospect that I would venture to guess the majority of Twins fans had never heard of. And I can't argue with that pickup. I think Jake Odorizzi's been good for them. Um, Logan Morrison, obviously off to a slow start, but... Watch out, his bat's heating up. I think he's had some really good plate appearances the last week. And I wrote in a column, this was maybe a week, 10 days ago, that said, hey, here are five ways the Twins can get going. One of them was just sit and watch Logan Morrison get hot, because if that bat gets hot and he starts ripping doubles and home runs, that changes the complexion of things, suddenly starts looking a lot deeper, and you got another big thumper in the middle of the order to carry things when the offense was sputtering along a little bit. Um so who else am I missing? Rodney, eh. Reed, I'm good with that. Oh, Zach Duke, eh. Logan Morrison's been eh so far, and Lance Lynn's been bad so far. So, yeah, overall, not a good track record, but I'd also say, like, two things. One, it's early. Watch those guys turn it around. Their big league track records suggest they're better than this. Two, the downside of all of these contracts is, like, nothing. If Logan Morrison just can't hit anymore, he has, like, late career Adam Dunn, you're just like, okay, well, fine, then you're benched or cut and go to Robbie Grossman at DH or Sano comes back as the DH and you don't know him anything for next year. Lance Lynn, if he's bad for the rest of the season, like, okay, you cost yourself a lot of money, but you only cost us $12 million and replace him with your guy, Stephen Gonsalves, or something like that. Um, Rodney, same deal. You got an option, but... He's not guaranteed to be back next year. Odorizzi, if he's bad for the rest of the year, you could non-tender him. It's like they didn't lock themselves into any horrible long-term contracts. That is maybe the best thing that you can say for the uh, quote-unquote downside of any of those deals. Um, Still, that's an awfully thin silver lining on an awfully dark black cloud. I think that those guys will turn it around. I think Lance Lynn will be better. I think Fernando Rodney will be better. I think Logan Morrison has already shown that he's going to be better um, with his last like week or so of plate appearances. So long answer, and it's one of those dumb Derek Wetmore answers that you guys don't like hearing, but like, let's give it some time. Let's wait and see how the free agent guys play out. Um, I'd take Odorizzi out of that mix, to tell you the truth. I think that's kind of a different deal. They went shopping for Odorizzi a long time ago and finally got him this spring, and it it's worked pretty well for them. I mean, they're getting surplus value out of that spot. So Kathy wants to know, um, thanks for the question, Chad, by the way. I, I think you speak for a lot of Twins fans when you ask that free agency question. Okay, Kathy. Kathy wants to know, what are your thoughts on Royce's Sano story? I think he nailed it. I think Pat's been out in front of this thing for three years, and... Uh, have to tip your cap to when they were trying the right field experiment. Obviously, we all said, that's stupid. What are you doing? Pat said, if your reasoning is you think he has to get himself into shape to play outfield, that's not going to work. And he was right. And weight is still an issue. Conditioning is still an issue. I don't think you can just say, oh, he's got a metal rod in his leg because there are people with worse physical impairments than that that are in better shape than this professional athlete who's been paid millions of dollars to be in peak physical condition and appear in baseball games. I think there are a number of things that you've got to fix with Sano. One is he, look, I don't think body weight is the only issue. If, if he starts trending in the right direction there, it'll be a good overall sign. I think of it as a leading indicator for how Sano's going. And secondly, I'm a big guy on like, hey, don't get so worried about strikeouts. They're overrated. It doesn't matter. But I also can tell you this. Behind the scenes, the Twins had like a closed-door hitters meeting this past week. I've heard this from multiple people inside the clubhouse. Closed-door hitters meeting, 
James Rouse and the hitting coach was running it. And they talked about the importance of team at bats. And here's what I mean by that. I'm a stats guy. So don't like, don't get mad at me for saying it like this. Cause this is really how I view baseball. If there's a runner on third base and nobody out and you try to hit a home run in a one run game or like a tie game, you are selfish. You're selfish. I, I understand that some people are going to say, hey, play the numbers. You're going to hit X number of fly balls, and 15% of those fly balls are going to leave the park just because of the math. You're going to do well to hit that two-run homer every once in a while, and you'll take the strikeouts. I think that's wrong, especially on a team that's slumping, that I think that you just need that psychological boost of, hey, guy at third base, nobody out, lift a fly ball, and drive in the run. I recognize that this is old-timey baseball. This is like me being old school, and it's one of the only times that I am. But one of the things that I can tell if you're a selfish player is you're only gunning for yourself. And I think that that needs to change. If you're Miguel Sano, you're probably one of the most capable guys on the team of if you cut down your power swing, his contact ability in terms of just bat to ball I think could be exceptional. I mean, Joe Maurer's really good at it. Um, who else is great at that on this team? Like Maurer's the one that jumps to mind, but Sano really could be that guy. And he kind of like, it looks to me like he opts not to be, that's a problem too. Um, so anyway, Pat's point, Kathy was like, he's still too big to play the position and stay healthy for a full season. Check. He's correct. And he doesn't care enough about strikeouts check i mean i'm a i'm try to be strikeout agnostic and say like hey and outs and out no big deal and hey when you strike out you can't ground into a double play or line into a double play yes that there's there's definitely some give and take there i'm i'm open to acknowledging that but like man you also get yourself into some bad spots and if you're striking out in 47 percent of your plate appearances that just isn't going to work you're just that's not going to work over a full season so, uh, Kathy, I think Pat hit the nail on the head. I think Pat is one of the best baseball analysts out there in terms of covering a local team and just knowing what's really good. <laughs> like He's just on top of it all the time, and he has been for as long as I've been following the team. Um, it's really impressive to see a guy who's kind of like an occasional columnist and just nails it. I mean, he's... We disagree on some things. Pat and I have argued about stuff in the past. And like I had him on my podcast uh, like during spring training to talk about launch angle and exit velocity and that kind of stuff to get his take on it. And it's like it's fun back and forth. But I'll tell you this, Kathy, like in terms of talking baseball with somebody, Pat's in my top five easily. And uh, we don't always see eye to eye, but he's like he's a reasonable guy. He's got a sharp eye for it. And I think he, he nailed it with the Sano column. Okay, uh, some more optimism I see. That's good. We got Todd, Phil, Clint's joined the chat. What's up, Clint? Matt, Drew. We got a lot here, guys. I got to start going rapid fire to get through some of these. This is awesome. Thanks so much for uh, coming and hanging out in this chat. Uh, Always fun when we get this many people. I know it's kind of a downer uh, week, two weeks for the Twins, but uh, who knows? Maybe they turn this thing around and make me look like a total idiot. I'll be the first one to admit it. Let's see. Todd says, I'm still optimistic for our chances, but I actually think we have to win the division. Cleveland's not tearing it up. How is Gordon doing and why no call up for him? Todd, a lot of great questions. All right. I could see you with the Cleveland thing. They're not exactly running away with this thing. And the division maybe be the path of least resistance. You don't have to jump over all these different teams worrying about one wild card spot because the Yankees and Red Sox are sewing up the other one. All right, I can see that. If Cleveland loses some of their good players and the Twins get theirs back and wins the head-to-head battle, that could definitely that could definitely be a thing. I just think the you know, the preseason projections just have the Indians as a vastly superior team. Don't forget they won 102 games last year. They lost Joe Smith. They lost, I think, uh, Brian Shaw and Carlos Santana. But, like, that's still a dang good team. They've got the best probably two pitchers maybe in the division. Like, that's a tough giant to slay for this 
that's a tough Goliath for this uh, mighty David and its slingshot. I think that Cleveland is just over the course of a six month season is just a better team and they're going to end up on top of this thing, but I could be wrong. Todd, that's, I wish I would have spent more time talking about that in the column because that's a good point. If Cleveland sputters and the twins overtake them, especially if they just sort of like win all of the games against the Indians, that's, that's maybe a better path to the postseason. Then you ask about Nick Gordon. How's he doing? Nick Gordon's tearing it up. Uh, I think he's at Chattanooga, and he's had an awesome start to the season with the bat. It's been great. And the Twins played him at some second base this spring. They kind of want to see him in both spots, second and short. Uh, Still playing some shortstop in the minors. Could eventually be his position someday, although there's some skepticism about that. Why not call him up? Uh, So he wasn't on the 40-man, but neither was Petit. I think that the Twins were really just looking for, like, a stopgap glove, not necessarily to thrust a prospect whose development they deem is pretty important, not just sort of thrust him into a spot, maybe before he's ready. And what would be like the worst thing in the world right now is if Nick Gordon comes up, he's feeling himself, he gets the big league call up, he feels like he belongs, and then he boots a couple balls at shortstop, and we all have to start talking about how he doesn't belong at shortstop and just kind of crapping on his confidence. Um, That's speculation. I haven't talked to their minor league guys since since spring broke, so... It's possible that they have a date circled on their calendar that Gordon should be up, but why Gregorio Petit over Nick Gordon, I think is the simple fact that they are looking for kind of more of a stopgap. And uh, Petit looks okay. He looks all right, but also he booted a ground ball he should have made with a drawn in infield, really mucked up that play, helped cost them a game. Um, So I don't know. I don't think he's going to get like 300 plate appearances or anything like that, but... Um, they're waiting for Sano to get back up off the disabled list, and then obviously Jorge Polanco back at some point this season. So I don't know if you'll see Nick Gordon. Um, maybe in September, but um, in the short term, I, I don't think they plan to add him to the roster and, and call him up. So much for rapid fire, Wetmore. You say that, and then you look down at your watch, and it's been like 47 minutes and 34 seconds that you were talking about Nick Gordon. So... Let's do some actual rapid fire, huh? Phil says, I feel like right now the guys that signed late in the offseason should finally be coming around, and they don't seem to be coming around. Good point, Phil. There are a number of guys around baseball, not just with the Twins, who got off to a terrible start and signed like in spring training. I'm thinking of... um, uh, who's your guy from the Rays? Alex Cobb, Greg Holland, obviously Lance Lynn, Logan Morrison. Some of these guys that didn't start in a regular spring training and then just tried to play catch-up. I think we all said, no big deal, no big deal, who needs pitchers fielding practice? But it's enough guys that you wonder, is that a trend? Is there a reason that guys who weren't settled all offseason, nervous about their employment, and then thrust into a job, said, go get them, that they struggled out of the gate? I would say maybe now is the time they'd start coming around. But, Phil, it also takes some time for those numbers to correct. Like, if you just look at Logan Morrison, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up right now to make the point. I'm going to look at Logan Morrison's last, like, 10 days, and I don't know what these numbers are. I, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I'm looking them up. But, like, he's been smoking the ball, and I'd be willing to bet that his numbers over the past 10 days are better than his season numbers. And that's my point, is that, like, So maybe they're just starting to come around now. A good theory. I'm actually on board with that. But it's going to take a couple of two-for-fours to erase, uh, like, you know, one-for-48 or or whatever. There's just the stats don't quite catch up. So I'm looking at Logan Morrison's game logs, and let's ignore the first, like, two weeks of the season. I'm going to cherry-pick a day that he had a hit. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a cakewalk. All right, so his last seven games, it's the final game of the New York series. You guys remember that? Um, he went two for five. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This wasn't in New York. This was against Cincinnati. Um, so the Cincinnati series plus the Toronto series plus the first game of the White Sox. That's the sample I'm looking at for Logan Morrison. And you know his numbers on the year aren't good. He's hitting 184 with a 283 on base. That's bad. Here is numbers of the last seven games and 29 plate appearances. Logan Morrison's hitting 360 with a 448 on base and slugging 680. 
For those of you who like OPS, that's better than uh, 1,000, and that's good. Two home runs, six RBIs, three walks, three strikeouts. So my only point is Lance Lynn, if he starts coming around now, all right, you're still mad about the first month of the season, but like at least he's getting back on track. Whereas you're not going to see his overall numbers start to look good. Even if he starts pitching well right now, his overall numbers won't look good till the All-Star break. So keep that in mind. Um, how about that? That was actually a little bit of rapid fire. Matt says, can Polanco play in Puerto Rico while he is suspended? Do you mean like uh, like an extended spring or like a, a winter league or something like that? I don't know what the rules are on that, but I'd be surprised if he could play affiliated minor league baseball. Um, wasn't the deal with Irvin Santana that he could pitch against minor leaguers nearing the end of his suspension? I want to say he had some starts built up in, what is it, 2015 when he got suspended for performance-enhancing drugs. Because I want to say he came back right around the 4th of July that summer, which would have been the you know halfway mark. But it's not like he was just thrown into a start. I think he got some rehab outing. So anyway, I don't know what the rules are there, Matt, on Polanco. I'll have to check into it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not close to returning just yet. Drew. Drew says, I agree that they seem to have lost the pennant in April and May. So someone agrees with me. And Drew also says, non-zero chance that they can turn it around enough to make a playoff run. And a non-zero disciple. Drew, hang around more often. I like seeing these comments. Um, Let's see. But he says, 10 and 17 is super difficult to overcome given the strength of the top tier of the American League. Totally agree. Drew just uh, hit the nail on the head. Dan says, I heard Sano fell over the other day and cut his leg open. As bad as that sounds, he was bleeding gravy, which he was putting on his waffle fries. Does that bother anyone else? So unless Dan has some super well-placed sources in the Twins cafeteria, I'm going to guess he is joking. Benjamin says, will Phil Hughes be in the organization on August 1st? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I was the only one banging the Phil Hughes drum, it looked like, when I said, like, you can't give this guy another start. And the Twins, I've checked. They don't subscribe to my newsletter or like my page on Facebook, Derek Wetmore MLB. But they must have seen the same thing that I saw because they didn't. They pulled the plug on that, moved him to the bullpen, and have Fernando Romero um, in the rotation. Hughes has not made an appearance out of the bullpen, so read into that what you will. They've had some spots where they could have used just a mop-up guy, punching bag kind of thing. Um, but he is Ben um, Benjamin. Sorry, he he does have another thirteen point two million on his contract for next year. So what do you like? Do you buy him out, or can you just? Is he interested in retiring, and you can give him? that money and just he's not on the pay, like on the team anymore. I don't know how this would work. Um, if he can't get big league hitters out, I'm not sure the value that he'll provide. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe like the injury this spring is getting better now or something and he, he'll be able to get big league hitters out. It just it hadn't really been there, for sure not in his start. So I don't know. I don't know if he's in the organization on August 1st. I would guess yes. If you made me guess, just because, how do you move on? What What's the next move for the Twins? Robert says, got to get those starters deeper into games. Can't ask for four innings a night after night after night from the bullpen. Yes. Agreed. Odorizzi talked about that on the pregame show. I was listening to uh, Twins Radio Network on some other AM station, and they basically said it's important to get early count outs because that's what gets me into the seventh inning, into the eighth inning however deep I'm going to go. It's this affinity he seems to have had earlier this year for three ball counts and full counts. Obviously, you're not going to pitch deep if you're having to use 20 pitches per inning. That only gives you so much runway. So uh agree with you. Robert, the starters being better would definitely help the bullpen. And the starters, so far, it's been one of the worst staffs in the American League. I looked it up yesterday. I think it was second worst ERA in the American League for the starters. Not good. Needs to be better. 
Dan, uh, Sano should look over Manny Ramirez's career. Manny had a great career, but he could have been elite if he put more of an effort in um, thanks to his own arrogance. Sano is going down the same path. Well, Manny Ramirez was still great, and uh, Sano hasn't even gotten to that level yet. Um, I didn't cover Manny, so I don't know, but the word is that like he took hitting very, very seriously. He was just kind of a clown sometimes and had the whole Manny being Manny in left field. Like I think Sano takes it more seriously than that. I do, but he needs to take the off-field stuff as seriously as he takes hitting home runs. That's what I'll say. Stan says, is Molitor on the hot seat? I don't know. He just got like a three-year contract, right? So how do you fire him? But also, at some point, somebody's got to wear it. Somebody has to pay for these crimes. Like, I don't know I don't know what the Twins' thinking is on this. I have not talked to Jim Polat about the security of Paul Molitor's job. My guess is that would be entirely up to Derek Falvey, but um, I don't know. Maybe other Twins' management would get involved, too, Um and, and and I don't know. I don't know how many, like, what's the general outrage? I think they fired Terry Ryan in part because there was so much overwhelming fan outrage that they were like, look, maybe they didn't want to even do it, but the negative backlash they were getting so widespread probably forced their hands a little bit. I'm guessing, but, you know, I think that's a reasonable guess. I don't know if it's reached that level with Molitor. I kind of doubt it. I like Molitor. I'm a Molitor guy. I've said this before, but, like, at some point... Something's got to give. Todd says, what is the realistic future for Joe beyond this season? He deserves some respect for his career. Yep, totally agree. I wrote a hit uh, a column when Joe Maurer got his 2000th hit. I said, Joe Maurer Appreciation Day. This needs to happen. He's already one of the best twins ever. I think he'll have a statue someday. I think he'll have his number retired up in those left field, just above the limestone, right below the bar out there in left field at Target Field. I think Joe Maurer is one of the greatest twins ever to play, and uh, he deserves some respect. It's been a good year for him so far. He's walking a ton. The on-base percentage is there. He's stinging the ball every once in a while. Um, But I guess he's not a 40-homer hitter. Um, I don't know what happens. This is the final year of his contract. I have no read on the situation as to whether Derek Falvey and Thad Levine would take Joe Maurer back on a one-year deal or a multi-year deal, or if Joe wants to do that. I don't know. He's 35, and he told us earlier this spring that he's not going to be playing when he's 50. So there's that. It was actually in response to a question about Ichiro Suzuki playing until he's 44, and uh, Ichiro is now transitioning to the Mariners' front office. It's kind of a cool move. Um, I don't think I don't think that the end is that near for Joe Maurer. That's just my personal opinion. All right, we got a follow up from Luke. Uh, what's going on with your man Grossman? <laughs> Luke asks. Uh, is he suffering from lack of at bats? His fielding does not justify his place in the lineup now. I threw up in my mouth watching him bumble around in the corner last night. Why keep watching? Um, and then Luke has a couple of reasons to keep watching. Reason number nine: I have MLB TV and Netflix is garbage. Reason number ten: Suffering is good for the soul. All right, those are better than any reasons I could have come up with here. I will get to my list, and that'll probably be the wrap for the show. We're coming up on an hour. I'm frankly surprised you guys wanted to hang out for this long, but it's awesome. Uh, What's wrong with Grossman? I don't know. I talked uh, to somebody the other day about it, and he basically basically said, like, slumps happen, and just when they happen at the beginning of the season, it makes it look worse. I don't know. I don't know. Grossman's game is predicated a lot on taking those borderline pitches and drawing a ton of walks, and in the outfield, he's just a mess. Um, Yeah, it's been bad. I don't know, but he can't be suffering from lack of at-bats. He's playing all the time now, so I don't know what the excuse is there. Uh, Could be just a slump, but it's also um, he's not the perfect fit as a fourth outfielder. I think that's fair to say. Chad has a follow-up on Grossman. He says, Grossman in right field last night made me long for the days of Miguel Sano in right. Wow. I can't follow you that far because Miguel Sano, you were always worried he was going to break something, whether it was like an outfield wall or hurt himself, which he did. Um, Grossman, at least you don't think either of those things is going to happen. Brad says the downside of these deals is on the field right now. He's talking about the free agent signings. Fair enough. You're right. Uh, so hard to focus on the near future when the near past is so bad. 
Brad, it's very hard to disagree with you there. I don't know. The downside is on the field, but what I'm saying, excuse me, what I'm saying is you can walk away from it. It's not like Phil Hughes where you've got 26 million tied up over the next 2 years and it's like, well, what do you do? Or another similar situation where you're just like, oh, well, Ricky Nolasco. Yeah, he's not looking good in the rotation, but like we got him, he's ours, paying him 12 million, so with these deals at least it's like Eh, okay, hope it works out, but if it doesn't, cut the cord and move on. That's all I was saying, Brad, but you're right. The near past has been very bad. Justin wants to know, is Brent Rooker getting a call this year? I don't know enough about Rooker and his uh, development arc to know if he will. I will say that uh, the corner outfield spots are looking a little bit more available than I would have thought they were coming out of spring training, but... Also, this is a guy who was just in college last year, so I'd let him keep dominating in the minors, let him rack up some home runs. But um, like I said, I don't know enough about his development arc uh, or enough to know like when will there be a spot. It's just hard to project what that will look like in eight weeks. Cody says, who's, uh, who's next at AAA that deserves a look with the team up here? Well, that'd be a better question for Seth or Jake, but I'm going to look up their roster just to give you a good answer. Somebody said Nick Gordon earlier. He's at Chattanooga, but that would be a good uh, another person to look at. I'm curious about a guy like Williams Astadio. We talked about him in a video in spring training. Super interesting. Here's a thought that I had. This might turn into a column someday. For anybody who's still here, there is a case to be made that like you could do better at catcher if you're the Twins. That's not a hot take. You could do better at catcher. I'd be curious to see if they get if this Grossman thing doesn't work out or whatever, change up the alignment a little bit. Max Kepler moves from center to right, bumps Grossman to DH or the bench. Eddie Rosario moves to center field. Mitch Garver moves out from behind the plate, plays some left field, and you find another backup catcher. I like Mitch Garver's bat, and he's left a lot to be desired behind the plate so far this year. So there's another uh, interesting little thought experiment. I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. But... I want to see Luke Bard at some point. Um, I'm looking at the uh, AAA Rochester. I should just look at the Twins 40-man, to be honest, because um, it's going to come down to some 40-man decisions for sure. But Luke Bard is the Rule 5 reliever that the Angels took from the Twins. Twins got him back now. He's pitching for Rochester. Um, Zach Littell just got promoted today to uh, AAA Rochester. Maybe you'll see him in the majors at some point this year. Um, I'm guessing you'll see Buznitz back. You'll see Duffy back. Adalberto Mejia, when he gets back from the disabled list in Rochester, you might see him at some point. Um, Slaggers will get a shot, I'm guessing. Like, they're going to cycle through some pitchers, that's for sure. And then you'll probably either see, you know, my my hot take on Garver to left field might not come true because they also have Jake Cave and Zach Granite on the 40-man. So maybe you just do something like that. Call one of those guys up, have him play center field. But, uh yeah, I don't know. I haven't been following the Red Wings like super closely to know, oh, this guy's got to be up. He's banging down the door. Um, Drew. Drew's got another Grossman thing. Oh, hey, and Seth answered the question from earlier. Polanco can only play in extended spring training games. So that might answer your question on can he play in Puerto Rico. Nope, but he can play X spring. Um, that's, again, not a question for a little while. But Drew, getting back to Drew, he says, I realize they like Grossman's offensive approach over someone like Lamar or others in the organization. That being said, how long will they keep him in this defense in right field? Anecdotally, it seems like this defense costs them outs and runs in about every other game. Liner over his head with Lynn on the mound as well as the play last night immediately jumped to mind. Drew, spot on again. Uh, I think he is costing them runs. You could even argue he's cost them a win just by being in right field, and that's hard to do in one month of baseball to be worth one win negative defensively. Very bad. Now, I'm not, maybe he hasn't cost them like 10 or 15 runs, but like the game has endpoints, and at the end of nine innings, if you're not ahead, like your cumulative defensive value doesn't matter. What matters is the scoreboard, and so far, yeah, I agree. He's been bad in right field, he doesn't belong in the outfield. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I'm a big Robbie Grossman guy, president of the Robbie Grossman fan club, but like it's it's been bad this year, and 
defensively, I think he leaves a lot to be desired. I think they could do better by like, it's almost like, feels like, I don't know this to be true, but it feels like putting A. Ray Adrianza in left field, Rosario in center, Kepler in right would be a better alignment than Grossman, Kepler, Rosario. I don't know. But yeah, he's maddening to watch out there. That's for sure. Rosario's maddening because he has the talent and the ability and you see him make sort of dumb choices or drop easy fly balls. Grossman's maddening because, like, it's not there. So a little bit different. Uh, Cody says, we have to remember they were a year early last year at a minimum. We have so much further to go. I'll buy into some of that. If the Twins hadn't made the postseason last year, this would still be disappointing, though. Cody continues with the fact that the coaching staff has allowed this inept baseball to go on for as long as it has is a huge issue. Cody, I would fight back to that. Like, what are you going to do? You can't just get new players. You have the 25 and then the pitching carousel. That's basically it. Um, Cody says, go back to the Puerto Rico trip. This team went on vacation and basically never came back. Yeah, but I don't think it's like an effort thing. I think they've been bit with some bad luck and then some sloppy play. And then the last question's here. Alex says, why are the Twins so bad at being able to get a decent starter? Seems we have to rely on huge offensive games to win. Yep. I don't know. One of the worst offensive, or I'm sorry, one of the worst pitching staffs in baseball in terms of starter ERA through the first five weeks of the season. That's bad. I don't know how you fix that. I expect Jake Odorizzi to be good. I think Jose Barrios has had two clunkers that I didn't really expect. Fernando Romero looked good, and we'll see what he gives them going forward. Lance Lynn has to turn it on, and Kyle Gibson has to get better than this every other. Like, good start, awful start, good start, bad start, good start. You just want to see some more consistency from Kyle Gibson, and I think he's capable of it. So that was a lot for a long video, a long podcast. I did promise earlier in the show that I was going to give you eight reasons to continue watching, and I don't even remember what I wrote down, so I'm going to read off my list here, and then we'll say goodbye. So uh, first of all, thank you to everybody who came. This has been awesome. So much fun. We'll do it again next Friday for sure. Um, Like my Facebook page so you can get the notification for that. Tell your friends, hey, there's this twin show that goes on. Some idiot sits in his kitchen with a cell phone and talks about the twins and takes our questions. That idiot would be me, and this idiot thanks you guys for uh, stopping by, even though it's been horrible, terrible, awful, no good two weeks for the twins. Uh, Maybe they'll get turned around and have some more positive things to talk about. So we'll read the eight, and I'll say goodbye, and we'll see you guys next week. Eight reasons to continue watching the Twins. When they get Buxton and Sano back, you still got to figure out who those guys are. Buxton could be a superstar, so could Sano. They haven't shown that fully yet, and that they can stay on the field. So that's one. Two, Max Kepler looks great. He's playing center field. He's been good. He's hitting lefties. He looks on everything. He's one of the Twins' best hitters. Promising start for the young right fielder turned center fielder. Number three, Joe Maurer appreciation. You got to love that guy. Great Twins career. Obviously some rocky years in there, but when it's all said and done, like 10 years from now, you're not going to be like, man, it was really annoying that he got paid a couple million dollars more than I think he would have been worth on the free agent market. You're going to be telling people like, yeah, Joe Maurer, what a sweet career. And gosh, when he was good, he was great. So Joe Maurer appreciation, that'll just reach a fever pitch at some point this year. Um, Number four, who is Jorge Polanco? We get the whole second half of the season to try to figure out what the Twins have in their young shortstop. Number five, Jose Barrios and Fernando Romero. 40% of their starts are must-watch TV. Number six, trade fodder? Oh, I should have worded that one better. But, uh, yeah, that's not exactly optimism. That's a little bit uh, realistic pessimism, which is... What are the Twins going to get for some of their good veteran players at the trade deadline? I don't know. Along that same line, this one might come sooner than the Joe Maurer appreciation. Brian Dozier appreciation. He's been in a slump recently. I wonder if he's playing hurt or something like that. But, like, Joe, Joe Maurer's a great player. We know we established that. Brian Dozier's been a great baseball player and has had a phenomenal Twins career. No matter what happens the rest of this season or into next season if he's playing in a different uniform. Brian Dozier is awesome and will probably appreciate that at some point. And last but not least, Eduardo Escobar. Fun guy to watch, fun guy to talk about, 
fun guy to listen to stories about that his twins teammates have. Like, I can't believe what this guy said. Check this out. Um, you wonder what's going to happen for him in his future, but got to love from his perspective how much he's helping his value by showing him play some third base. He can play some shortstop. He's a team-oriented guy, and doubles and home runs are nice. So that's it for the podcast. That's it for the video. If you're watching on Facebook, thanks so much for joining. Hope to see you next week. And subscribe to the Touch Em All podcast. It's a good baseball show. We do three or four shows a week. I don't know if we'll have to cut that back. But if the interest is there, we're absolutely going to keep talking about the Twins. We like doing it. So if you guys like um, if you guys like doing that show, following along, whatever, awesome. We'll absolutely keep doing it for you. Um, that's it. Long sign off for me. Thanks for hanging out. Have a good weekend, you guys. The weather looks great out there. That's reason number nine to keep watching the Twins.